Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Please join us now as we hear a message from Pastor Toledo. In two cities. Come on, everyone in Philly, let's put our hands together for everyone in Chicago. Praise the Lord. We trust that you've had a wonderful time seeking the face of God. And we have had that here. And now I want to open up the Word of God as we continue our series titled Walking in Power. God's people can be walking in power. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And how many know Jesus is as real today as he was 2,000 years ago when he walked on the earth? The Spirit of the Lord is here with us, and we can get to the place where we are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're walking in the power of God. That's what the book of Mark is all about. It's about God's people as demonstrated by Jesus himself. God's people in Philadelphia walking in power, in Chicago walking in power in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Now today, I have a very unusual story to read, and we will talk about it better if I read it first. It's so unique that instead of introducing it to you, I just have to read it to you, and then we have to unpack this. You know, I just realized today, I don't think I've ever preached off of this particular story, but this is a very, very important message. I believe this is a very prophetic word, uh, Chicago Tabernacle, Philadelphia Tabernacle. I believe this is a very prophetic word to us. I believe that today's message is meant to open our eyes to what's happening in our world, to open our eyes to how we should be viewing what's going on and we should be considering the role that Jesus wants us to play. So I'm going to just go ahead, Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Jesus and his disciples arrived on the other side of Lake Galilee in the ter- territory of Gerasa. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, he was met by a man who came out of the burial caves there. The man had an evil spirit in him and lived among the tombs. Nobody could keep him tied with chains anymore. Many times his feet and his hands had been tied, but every time he broke the chains and smashed the irons on his feet, he was too strong for anyone to control him. Day and night he wandered among the tombs and through the hills, screaming and cutting himself with stones. Let me pause here. This man was demon-possessed. This man was, was controlled by the prince of the power of darkness, the prince of the power of the air, by the evil, wicked enemy of the church of Jesus Christ and of every child of God, the one who wills to destroy every human being on the planet, the one who wills to rule and reign, 
through darkness. So he was demon-possessed and consequently drawn towards death and darkness. He lived uh, in the midst of death. He, he, was, he was hanging out all the time around death. This is what was going on here. Let's keep going. He was some distance away when he saw Jesus, so he ran and fell on his knees before him. And he screamed in a loud voice, Jesus, son of the most high God, what do you want with me? For God's sake, I beg you, do, don't punish me. He said this because Jesus was saying, evil spirit, come out of this man. So this was an intense exchange between Jesus and the demons inside of this man. This is serious. This is deep and powerful. So Jesus asked him, what is your name? And the man answered, my name is Mob. Some translations use the word legion. There are so many of us, he says. And he kept begging Jesus not to send the evil spirits out of that region. Now I want to pause here. I want you to notice that the legion of demons had no question of who they were dealing with, and they totally acknowledged his supremacy and lordship. The demons called him Most High God, Son of the Living God. They ran to him and they fell at his feet. The demons had no question of who Jesus was and how great and glorious and powerful. They were begging to not be cast out of that region. This is what was going on. I want to remind you, if you're listening online, if you're watching at CT, if you're here, if you find yourself drawn to self-harm, this, this, this man used to cut himself. If you find yourself drawn to deeds of darkness, if you find yourself drawn to things that lead to addiction, put you out of control, instead of in your right mind, you become a slave to that or you become a slave to that, I want you to know that the one behind it is Satan, the devil himself. Those things, they come from the pit of hell and they are real. But just know the devil knows that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because he came and he bowed down right before him. Now watch this. There was a large herd of pigs nearby feeding on a hillside. So the spirits begged Jesus, send us to the pigs and let us go into them. He let them go and the evil spirits went out of the man and entered, in, entered the pigs. The whole herd, about 2,000 pigs in all, rushed down the side of the cliff into the lake and was drowned. The men who had been taking care of the pigs ran away and spread the news in the town and among the farms. Apparently, these pigs came from a variety of different farms. This was a collective of pigs, 2,000 strong. They all drowned themselves, so they went back to tell all of the pig farmers and the owners. It says, people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who used to have the mob of demons in him. He was sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were all afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the man with the demons and about the pigs. 
And here it is, believe it or not, verse 17 says, so they asked Jesus to leave their territory. So they asked Jesus to leave their territory. Now I want you to notice that even though Satan had no choice but to bow at the feet of Jesus, the people did have a choice and they asked him to leave. I said, Chicago Tabernacle, the people did have a choice and they asked Jesus to leave. What's so unusual about this story is that even though the prince of darkness was bowing at the feet of Christ, the people asked Jesus after he delivered a man from bondage, after he set him free, after he did the kindest, most loving act possible, guess what they did? They asked Jesus to leave. Wow. So it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had had the demons begged him, let me go with you. But Jesus would not let him. Instead, he told them, go back to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how kind he has been to you. So the man left and went all through the town, the ten towns, telling what Jesus had done for him. And all who heard it were amazed. So what do we have here? Okay, by the way, this is in Luke as well and this is in Matthew. It's not in the book of John, but this story is covered by three of the Gospels. And this is a very, very important story. I believe that this story speaks to our world in 2023. So let's listen up. What do we have here? First, we have pigs. Then we have a, a man who is demon-possessed by a, a mob of demons. Okay? Uh, very oftentimes, uh, everyone in Chicago, when you're walking around in Philadelphia, I've never seen more people walking around and they're just kind of hearing voices and out of their minds. Let me tell you something. The devil is on the loose in Philadelphia. And you guys know the devil is on the loose in Chicago. Demon-possessed people are walking all over the place all the time. And many people are careless. They really don't care. It was happening then and it's happening now. We have a mob, most likely, of community leaders and farm owners, the people who had the money, who possessed the farms, they were there, and then there was Jesus. Okay? Now, let's take this in. Here comes Jesus with the heart of God to set the captive free. Why did Jesus come? He came to seek and save the lost. He came and he went all in, and we know that he came ready to lay down his entire life. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to lay down his life so that the, the, the people who are in darkness could see a great light and be set free. Anybody here thankful that you've been set free by the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Are you happy in Chicago that Jesus set you free? Are you happy that you get to praise him and serve him and honor him? Hallelujah. Blessed be the name. Praise God for the blood that was shed so that we could be in our right minds today. Where would you and I be if it wasn't for Jesus? Jesus was making a powerful declaration 
Jesus was saying to that community and to the world that the, this one person was far more important than 2,000 pigs. Jesus was saying, this man is more important to me than all of the materialism you could muster up. So here's what's going on. Jesus is saying, I came for people. I came for marriages. I came for broken hearts. I came for the lost. I came for the discouraged. I came for the hurting. I came for the brokenhearted. I came for the down and the lonely. You know what? I was even born in a manger so nobody could say I separated myself. I came to be with the lowest of the lowest, even though I'm the highest of the highest. I came for all. Anybody thankful that he came for all? Hallelujah. Yes. Put your hands together and say yes. But here's what the people said. The people said, we want pigs over people. That's the title of my message today. Pigs over people. When you go home and they say, what did a preacher preach about today? He preached about pigs over people. Okay, and I want you to know that as bizarre as this is, this is a prophetic word that really turns the Holy Ghost lights on and it sheds light on our culture, on our government, on our society, and sometimes even the church. So what was happening here? What does it mean to choose pigs over people? Watch very quickly. Choosing the pigs over people was choosing profit, power, and pleasure over people. Those pigs represented profit. Those pigs represented power for the people who would profit. If they could make the profit, then they have the influence. We know whoever has the money has the influence. Those, those pigs represented power, and then people who have profit and power, then they can do whatever they want. They, have, they can pursue pleasure. This is the, the, the exchange that was going on. The people were saying, Jesus, please leave. i rather have profit, power, and pleasure than you. I'd rather that, that I have profit, power, and pleasure than me personally sacrificing that so that someone else could be free. He chose pigs over people. That is astounding to me. Imagine this conversation. They're saying, we want the pigs. And Jesus is saying, I want the people. So I want to pray for a moment. I haven't prayed over the message yet, and I need to race through this. But I want you to stick with me. This is important. This is deep and intense. But could we receive the word of the Lord today? Come on, put your hand on your heart right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I lift up our family in Chicago. I lift up the family here. And God, I pray that you would speak deeply to us. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and I pray, Lord God, that you would align us with your heart instead of our hearts. God, we want your heart for our days on the earth. We want to choose what you choose. God, we want to choose people. We want to choose your kingdom over profit, over power, and even pleasure. Help us, King Jesus, do it. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. So what is it that we see here? 
what we see here is the, the I'm going to call it the disease of me and the disease of more. Okay, the disease of me and the disease of more. Just stick with me. I'm going to march through this. Okay, so what happens is, is that Jesus comes upon the scene, and when Jesus comes upon the scene, they're so caught up with what the loss of these pigs, which were considered unclean animals at the time, they're so caught up that they missed out on a lot of things. And before this, this slide goes up, listen, I want to suggest to you that it is possible in 2023 to be so caught up with me. Okay? It is possible in 2023 to be so caught up with me that we actually miss out on the precious things that God wants to do. Okay? So when we become me-focused, we miss out on God working around us. If we're so into ourselves that we can't really cut loose and shake loose of whatever that self is, that thing isn't broken, then when God wants to work around us, God is working around us, but we're oblivious to it. Okay? Number two, we miss out on God working in us. We miss out. Is it possible that today one of us could miss out on the heart of God? Okay? My wife was, had a conversation with a homeless person, and she was in the midst of something, and the homeless person said something, and she took two steps, and then she turned right back around, and she had a whole exchange and prayed because the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 don't miss her. I know you're busy, but don't miss it. Don't miss this moment. And she got to pray over that woman. Also, we can miss out on God working through us because guess what? It's the will of God that you and I will walk in power. It's the will of God that you and I will be able to deal with people that are in the grips of darkness. How many believe that's why we are the light of the world and he wants to send us out to make a difference? But we have to, we have to recognize what's going on essentially the pigs over people philosophy will always ask Jesus to leave. Pigs over people philosophy will always ask Jesus to leave. And here's what it comes down to. You and I have to ask ourselves, what do you and I truly value? Because all of this, it's all about our value system. Okay, what do we really value today in Chicago? What is really important to you? What makes your heart beat? What makes your heart jump? What matters to your life? Because this is a choice of value. They value the pigs over this one man's life and over the presence of Jesus. They ask Jesus to leave. I just, I can't imagine that we would do that. Let me make up a hypothetical. This is a make-believe, okay? I want to I do a quick make-believe. So just humor me for a second and imagine that our nation had a string of presidents, right? This is just make-believe, but just imagine with me. Our nation had a string of presidents that back abortion, that back the confusing of little children tampering with their identity. They're trying to confuse our kids into what their gender is, even though God said he made them male and female. Imagine that there were presidents 
who were backing things that absolutely crush and grieve the heart of God on one side. Then let's imagine that, that there are a string of presidents that back all kinds of uh, inappropriate stuff. For example, let's say there were presidents that would actually align themselves with neo-Nazis. Or imagine that there would be presidents that would actually celebrate the demeaning of women and actually celebrate it from their own life of abuse and profligacy, which means being such an immoral person. Imagine that those kinds of people, I'm not saying that they exist, I'm saying just imagine, okay? Well, don't you think that those kinds of behavior ask Jesus to leave a nation, don't you think that, that kind, those types of politicians literally are asking Jesus to move out? They're saying, we don't want your holiness. We don't want your godliness. We don't want your love. Jesus is about love. Jesus is about truth. Jesus is about freedom. But don't you agree that chances are one day they will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ? And they will have to answer to God for asking Jesus to leave and pushing forward their form, their form of prophet, their form of, of power, their form of pleasure. Can I tell you something? Whatever you see wrong, I'm telling you right now, everyone will stand before God. And no one will get away with anything because on that day, things will be made right. Somebody say amen. Can I tell you, when we asked Jesus to leave, if he could come, I'm going to, I got some more stuff to say, but I want him to come. This is so intense, I need a little music myself. But listen to this. I want you to think about this. Okay? Why would a police officer murder a man on national television? How could it be possible that a police officer would murder a man on national television? I'm going to tell you why. It's because when you ask Jesus to leave, even the people who should do right start doing wrong. It's the fruit of a nation that asked Jesus to leave. Yes. That's what happens because we get corrupted because power corrupts. Right? But on the flip side, brothers and sisters, think about this, right? When a nation defends criminal behavior, can I tell every father here, every mother here, tell your sons to stay out of trouble. My, I grew up in the hood. I grew up, I've been thrown up against the wall by cops. And you know what my father used to say? He used to say, stay out of trouble. Because you want a perfect recipe, you get a kid who thinks that criminal behavior is okay, and you get a cop who's corrupt, and you have a national disaster on your hands. But both of them are the fruit of somebody saying, Jesus, please leave. Jesus, please leave. We got to teach our boys to be godly. We got to have fathers at home. We need fathers. My dad grabbed me by the neck every once in a while. My dad, he used to have these big hands, and he used to, he used to work at a factory. His hands, they each weighed about 35 pounds. 
And the minute I would start stepping out of line, my dad never spanked me, but let me tell you, when I, when I would, he would say, come over here. I remember being a little boy, and he would say, come over here, and he'd take those big, heavy, like, they were like, like sandpaper, leather. And he would go like this. Don't forget who the boss is. And let me tell you something. I wasn't getting in trouble out there because I knew I would get in trouble in here. How do we know we need some good old-fashioned dads just being good fathers, teaching the difference between right and wrong instead of asking Jesus to leave? What happens to a nation? What happens to a city? Okay, what happens to a community? What happens to a family when we ask Jesus to leave? Every kind of craziness every kind of chaos. Look, I want to put up a chart for you right now. Your values are everything. Okay? Your values are going to go one way or another. Can we put that up? Listen. Your values start inside of your heart and mind. Your values will dictate your actions and your motives. Your values will influence the way you handle your primary relationships, okay? If you are a God-fearing person, if you love the Lord, if you want to honor God, if the Holy Spirit is helping you, then guess what? You don't do all of the crazy things that men are prone to do because you love Jesus, because you want to honor Jesus. When we have Christ-honoring values, we avoid evil, we avoid sin. We may not be perfect, but the last thing we want to do is bring sin and darkness upon our house. But look, this is subtle. When your heart and mind are all about self and me, self-appeasing values, guess what happens? Your actions, your choices, the way you handle your primary relationships. You don't even think about a kingdom contribution. How many of we should all be making a kingdom contribution? But what has happened in America? What has happened in the church that 80% of the people, do you realize 20% of the people in church serve, 80% of the people either don't come to church, they watch online, or they just sit in the pews and they have no contribution to make in the kingdom of God. Somebody say, preach it, preacher. Yes. Look, I have a question for you. I have a question for you. When you listen to truth, I say this, I'm saying this with deep love in my heart, and I want you to know I have prayed. I have bent my neck before God. I have bent my heart before God. This past week, I feel challenged by this word myself. I want God to, to, to get all the me out, all the self out. We only have one chance at this. We got to live for Jesus. Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back soon. Look at what's happening on the world stage. Someone once said that I heard a, a preacher say Israel is the world's clock. And let me tell you something. You see what's happening in the Middle East? The tide, the tide is turning. Things are racing to the end. Are you ready to meet Jesus? So here's the question. When you listen to truth, is there room in your heart for a prophetic warning? Can you receive a warning from God? Or are you like, 
please leave, Jesus. Right? Is it possible that you could perceive, uh, receive a prophetic correction? Could somebody tell you, yo, you're wrong. Can, can somebody kind of help to shape the course of your life? Or what has happened in this world, especially in the church, that we can't even be corrected anymore? Right? Is it, can somebody rebuke you? Okay, the Bible says that the purpose of the word is not just to instruct and teach and to correct, but to rebuke. Why? Because sometimes we have gotten so self-centered that only a stiff rebuke, a sharp rebuke will wake us up. Maybe the last time somebody tried to rebuke you, you didn't see the love of God behind it. But look, we cannot miss Jesus. We can't afford to. And if we don't let the word of God and the presence of God shape and correct us, I'm telling you right now, things are not good even in the church. I'm not, this is not negative. This is not negative. This is Mark chapter four, uh, five. It's in the word. And it's true, okay? So the next time you have loss of face because somebody confronts you and you're wrong, so what? You know, so what? The next time God asks you, imagine Jesus asking you, would you give up your pigs for a person? You know, would you give up your time? Would you give up your treasures? You're like, of course. Of course, Lord, have your Wait, somebody say, have your way, Jesus. I can tell you this. Anytime you obey the Lord and respond to the Lord and put your pride down, okay, and put your, your, your will and your desire down, anytime you do that, the fruit of it is freedom, blessing, and walking in power. I want to suggest... That walking in power is directly connected to the fullness of our embracing and receiving Jesus and his values. Why does the church not walk in power? It's because we don't embrace and receive him. Jesus is not a respecter of persons. Come on, somebody say amen. Jesus doesn't play favorites. Somebody say amen. And look, if, you've, if you are in, in this very moment, if you feel uncomfortable, okay, it's all good. The, the Bible might call that conviction of sin. Conviction is good because conviction is the pathway to repentance. And repentance is the pathway to breakthrough, freedom, transformation. Because we let God into our kitchen instead of saying, stay out of my kitchen. All right. So now, let's talk about how to walk in power. There's two key significant dispositions of heart. Number one, when we walk in, we walk in power when we value what Jesus values. 
How do we solve this? How do we make sure we get on the right side of this equation? We've got to value what Jesus values. We need to say, Jesus, give me your value system. I know that I want this stuff, but I want what you want. Anybody here ready to say, Jesus, put what you want inside of me. Put your desires inside of me, oh God. We have to value what Jesus values. God's value system brings healing. It brings blessing. It brings the kingdom of God upon us. God's value system uh, brings light and hope and joy and peace. What does Jesus value? Jesus values freedom. Jesus values truth. Jesus values love. Jesus values mercy. Jesus values people. Jesus values people. The next time you see someone walking down the street and they're not in their right minds, you know, a couple weeks ago, when the last time I was here, I can't get him out of my mind. There was a guy, big, strong like me. He, his, his hair was like all over the place. He had like an orange thing wrapped around him. I don't even know what it was. But he had this orange thing wrapped around him. And he was walking around talking to himself. And he had something strange on top. And, I mean, he was in his own world. And I was like, Lord, this man and so many, so many homeless, so many with schizophrenia, so many people whose brains got burned out on drugs. I believe that Jesus can heal a mind that was burned out on drugs. I believe God can run us into them and bring the anointing of God so that they could be set free. God is still able to set men free. And that's what Jesus values. Jesus' life message was this, okay? I won't be much longer, but I want you to listen to this. His life message was, I'm going to make a trade, okay? His life message was, I'm going to be treated like an animal. I'm going to be treated like a sacrificial lamb, and I'm going to die Okay, I'm going to be called guilty so that all over the world, whoever would just reach out and say, save me, Lord. Anybody, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, they will be declared not guilty. Is anybody thankful for the heart and value that Jesus brings to this earth? Hallelujah. So we've got to get... The value system. What did he give that man? Here's what Jesus gave that man. He gave him personal freedom. He gave him relational connection with the most high God. And he gave him a higher purpose. He said, go and tell everyone what the Lord has done. And that's what happens when we, when we adopt the values of Jesus. First of all, we start experiencing personal freedom and personal power. Because when you align your heart, like every one of us, we have our dreams. We have what we want. We have, the, we have our mindset of what it, what it ought to look like, our picture of what it ought to look like. But if we will just lay down that picture and say, have your way, God. I will choose whatever you want from me, oh God. Man, let me tell you something. Freedom and purpose and breakthrough and usefulness is released in our lives. It's a value thing. You know, I heard a story. This is a, one of my friend's sons was a drug addict. And one day when he was high, he was driving and he knocked over a guy's mailbox. 
So because he had some truth in him, when what he did is he knocks over the, it's so funny, he's high out of his mind, right? He knocks over the mailbox. And so what he does is he stops the car, he writes a note and puts his phone number on it and puts it in the guy's mailbox and says, hey, I ran over your mailbox and I will pay for it one day. Right? So the guy calls him, and when the guy calls him, he's high out of his mind, and he says, sir, I'm sorry, but I can't pay for it now, but I promise I'm going to pay for it. Well, lo and behold, almost a year goes by, and when, he, and when he gets his right mind and he gets a job, guess what the kid, the guy was like 23 years old, 24 years old, guess what he does? He saves his money, he goes back to the man, he knocks on the man's door, and he says, sir, I am here. How many know when Jesus comes, things change, and they're powerful, hallelujah. So he knocks on the door. This is a true story. Knocks on the door. The guy opens the door and says, I'm the guy who knocked over your mailbox. I'm here to pay for your mailbox. He says, I was out of my mind. I was sold this, but I'm sorry. I knocked over your mailbox, and I'm here to pay for it. And the man starts crying. And he says, son, you don't have to pay me. The kid is like, no, I have to pay you. I got to make this right. But this, the man is saying, I don't care about a mailbox. I care about you. How many know it could be a, a stranger, but we should still care about the guy who knocks over our mailbox, the person who steals from us and hurts us. We should love them enough to see them set free. Jesus, give us your value system. And then here's the last thing. We walk in power when we value what Jesus values. And lastly, we walk in power when we sacrifice the way Jesus sacrificed. Everybody say sacrifice. I heard you in Chicago. Well done. Sacrifice is a real part of the kingdom of God. Sacrifice is a huge part of human advancement. Without sacrifice, people don't get better. People don't get healed. People don't get saved. People don't, you know, children don't get better if parents don't sacrifice. Sacrifice is a part of life. Could somebody say amen? And Jesus proved that like no one else. Look at the word. The word comes from to make sacred. Something given up for the sake of another. You see, COVID has swept across the land and now people think so much more about themselves and asking them to sacrifice is such a foreign thing. But in the name of Jesus, we have to wake up and start sacrificing. Because if we want to walk with the anointing of God, I'm telling you, the anointing will flow when you're ready to sacrifice. The Spirit of God, when you sacrifice, when you lay down your heart, your love for His will and His way, that's when you're going to see the Spirit of God rushing through you. Augustine says, sacrifice is the surrender of something of value for the sake of something else. Can I tell you something? You know why the church of Jesus Christ is weak? The church is weak because the people have lost their ability to sacrifice. People rather stay home than come to church. 
People rather come to church, but they never serve. People say this is too much and that is too much, and it's me, me, me. But do you realize the more self-indulgent you are, the more miserable you become? Because the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. I wish I had an amen button here because I would hit it and it would sh the amen would come over the speaker right now. I left it. I left my amen button someplace. Look at what John Wesley said, a man greatly used of God. He said this, I'm no longer my own but yours. This is speaking of him to Jesus. Put me to what you will, rank me with whom you will. Put, uh, put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Here's what Jesus is saying today to us. He's saying, sacrifice your prophet. Sacrifice your power. Sacrifice your pleasure. Lay it all down for his sake and for the sake of the kingdom of God. When we do, Jesus will release something special through our lives. Everyone can sacrifice. Everyone is called to sacrifice. We're called to offer a sacrifice of praise. Do you know how hard it is nowadays to get people to worship God? Like pastors, worship leaders have to beg people, come on, we have to be cheerleaders. Okay? Go ahead and pray. Amen. I'm going to hit that button. But you don't understand, I'm so, uh, um, it's not my personality, it's not this. You mean to tell me that when the Phillies win and go to the World Series, you will jump and scream and shout, you will jump on the couch, you'll hug and kiss strangers, right? But when we start talking about King Jesus, you can't lift your hands and you can't lift your voice. You need to wake up. Come on now. We need to wake up and give him glory. Give him glory in Chicago. Give him glory in Philadelphia. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be honored in this place. Hallelujah. Help us, Jesus. We need to offer our treasures we need to offer our bodies, offer yourselves as living sacrifice. Listen, I'm almost done. Listen, during World War II, a young soldier named David Webster of Easy Company of the 101st Airborne wrote this to his mother. He was somewhere between 18 and probably like 22 years old or so. He says, stop worrying about me. Ma, I joined the parachutists to fight. I intend to fight. If necessary, I shall die fighting. But don't worry about this because no war can be won without young men dying. How many know that's a switch? He said, those things which are precious are only, are saved only by sacrifice. 
Things which are precious are only saved by sacrifice. Fathers, we die to ourselves. We sacrifice for the sake of our children and for the sake of our family. We sacrifice for the sake of our neighbors. We sacrifice for the sake of strangers because we know that our Lord and Savior laid down his life and we're called to lay down our lives. Could somebody say amen? We, as the people of God, are called to lay down our lives. Lay down your life. And the Bible says no one who gives up mother and father, sister and brother, houses and lands will fail to receive a hundred times more in this life and the life ever after. But it all happens through sacrifice. Listen to this. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Can I say this to you? I know, listen, Chicago, I know that the heaviest crosses are typically private crosses. The Bible says each heart knows its own bitterness. No one can share its joy. I know that when Jesus asks some of us to forgive, I know that he's asking a huge thing. He's saying, be like me. He's saying, I don't want you walking around bitter for the rest of your life. I want you to walk around free. I want you to walk around helpful. I want you to walk around hopeful. But here's what you have to do. You have to forgive. I know that, that, that there are crosses, things that, that God is asking us to put up with or to carry for the sake of somebody else that are super, super heavy. But it says each one of us must carry our cross. That's part of being a child of God. We carry the cross of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, I'm shocked at how few people go into the ministry nowadays. You know why people don't go into full-time ministry anymore? It's not because they're not called. It's because it's so hard. It's because it pays so little. It's because it's so difficult and people can be so harsh and mean at times. But Jesus says, Come and suffer like me for their sake. Because then, like Paul said, death is at, here's what Paul said. Here's what you have to do when you're in the ministry. Death is at work in me so that life could be at work in you. If I had a nickel for every time I heard a story and experienced myself of somebody being mean and hurtful and disrespectful to someone in the ministry. But guess what? They did that to Jesus. If, 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 you're, if, you're, if your neighbors or your co-workers make fun of you, well, so what? They did it to Jesus. In the day of trouble, those same people who are mocking you will be pulling you aside and saying, hey, could you pray for me? And that's the moment. That's the moment that Jesus comes in. So look, in a moment, one of the pastors is going to come 
I want to pray today, and I want to pray two ways. I want to pray, Lord, help us to surrender at a whole new level. I know this isn't a rah-rah, God is going to give you a double portion, all that kind of stuff. That'll be next week, hopefully, right? But let me tell you something. Two things are very, very important in the kingdom of God. Number one, repentance. And number two, surrender. So as we go to turn this over, could you pray a prayer of repentance? Pray a prayer of repentance, first of all, for the church because we know better. Maybe we should be the first ones. At least that's what I did this week. I repented. I was like, Lord, would you get all the me out of me? Lord, have mercy on me and wash the me out. Okay? So first repentance and then surrender. And I guarantee you, as we repent and surrender, the Spirit of God is going to sweep over his people. And we will see the greatest move of God we've ever seen. And we will see it right through us. How many believe that? Come on, let's put our hands together if we believe that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.